Thank you for tuning into the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. For me, Christmas has always been about reaching. As a child, I would reach high for presents stacked in my parents' closet, but I was always just a little too small and I could never reach it. And growing up, there were years gifts were just too expensive, so we would reach deep into our pockets hoping we could afford it. And as time continued, reaching just became expected. We lost loved ones, lost pieces of our family, and we were desperate for one holiday the way it was supposed to be. But still, every Christmas has been just another thing far out of reach never being tall enough rich enough or strong enough Christmas has always been about reaching but I've learned of this other thing a gift that exists that I want to reach more than anything there is this love that is deeper than the hurts that have happened to us. A love that is greater than the dreams that we've dreamt for us. A love that could redeem who we've been, piece together our hearts, and give a second chance to us. And when this new gift seemed just like everything else, wrapped up, placed high, and just too far for me, God said, I'm bringing love down so you can reach. And he let his overwhelming, never quitting kind of love come down so that it was available for even the weakest of us to receive love in the form of God's son, a child who looked just like us so that he would grow up, heal lives, die for us, rise from the grave and demonstrate what real love was to us so that new life was within our reach, so that real hope was within our reach, so that a second chance that could restore broken homes, broken families, broken hearts was within our reach. There is nothing we can do to be worthy enough for what's already come down to be given for free. Finally, Christmas, all this and every day of my life is no longer about reaching. Now it's about receiving, holding and enjoying a love that has come down to be found within What an incredible way to look at Christmas, at the Christmas story of as God reaching down to us when we couldn't reach up to him. And here comes heaven. Jesus, God himself, comes to us because of his love for us. And as Jesus comes down to earth, this news, this good news, reaches towards all of humanity. And all across the world, this signals change. And this signals hope. And in him coming for us, sets us up to be who he always wanted us to be. His. And his coming is an invitation to come and dine with him. And to spend time with him and be together with him at his table as family. See, my message this morning is titled... Is there room? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the moments that we get to spend around your word. And Lord, I pray that 
as we look at the Christmas story today, that you would speak to each one of our hearts. God, that you would say something individually to each and every one of us. God, challenge us, change us, convict us if need be, but God, don't let us leave the same way that we came in. Thank you for sending your son. In Jesus' name, amen. One Sunday after church, we decided to go to Jack Stack to eat barbecue. You guys know me. I, I enjoy Jack Stack barbecue. And like most Sundays, we invited people to come and, and go to lunch with us. The only problem with that is that sometimes we tend to linger here a little bit longer than normal. We, we tend to forget that um, we can have these exact same conversations at Jack Stack. Like we're all going to go there, but we hang out here and we stay a little bit longer. And so there were a few of us that are a few people that went early and I, they asked for a number, how many people are coming? So I gave them a number. And then I began to count the number again and again and realized I gave them the wrong number. So I need to give them another number. And so I sent another number. And then a little bit later, I asked who was coming and there were more people. And so I sent a third number. And you know, this was one of those days where none of the texts actually gave me a read receipt back. It just said delivered. It didn't say that the person actually read them. So I was unsure when we showed up if there were going to be enough places for everyone. And so as we got there, there were already people sitting down and as I looked at the table, I began to count the empty chairs and I began to count the people who were still coming and it was going to be close. And so you know what I did? I found my seat. I made sure Mel had a seat and we waited for everyone else to come in. And when the very last couple came through the door, as they walked around to where we were sitting, I watched as their faces changed and suddenly they were transported back to middle school, looking for a place to sit, wondering if there was room for them. Wondering if where everyone else had already seated, if any of the empty chairs that someone thought enough to reserve one of them for them. And I watched as they didn't want to ask, is there a place for me? Is there room for me to sit down? You see, because most of the time we assume that there's not room for us. We assume that if people are already there, well, they deserve to be there because they got there first. They got their, their choice of where to sit. And if we show up, we shouldn't ask if there's room for us because what happens if they tell us no? No one wants to risk the rejection in front of other people. No one wants to be told that even though you want to sit down, even though you want a place at the table, there's really no room for you. And as God sets this table, as he sets this table to bring his son into the world, there are places beautifully set, and there are name tags. There are place cards for individuals that we find in the Christmas story. And so this morning, let's look to see if there is a place here at this incredible table for you and for me. Is there room for us? Now, the first people here at the table, they know the weight of the question, is there room? You see, Mary and Joseph were on their way to Bethlehem because of the census that Caesar Augustus wanted to take. 
It was a prideful thing. He wanted to count how many people were actually under his, ro- under his rule. And so because Joseph was of the family of David, he had to take his family to Bethlehem. And on the way, we find out that Mary is well well along in her pregnancy. It says that she's really close to having that baby. And, and I don't know if, guys, you remember when your wife is ready to have the baby, you're ready for the baby to come. Because at about eight months, it goes from this beautiful, incredible thing to like, somebody needs to get this baby out now. Now. Jumping jacks, whatever I need to do, the baby needs to come out. And I imagine that it was one of those moments as they're getting closer for the baby to come. Mary's ready to have it. Joseph is ready for that baby to have to come out. But if he's smart, he doesn't say anything, guys, right? We don't say anything like that. Joseph was probably a smart guy. But undoubtedly, as they travel from where they were to Bethlehem, undoubtedly, they get there and they're exhausted. You guys know how road trips are. No matter how well you plan for them, and they, they're a little bit tougher the older you get. And as you're pregnant, oh my gosh, I can't imagine how exhausted they must have been as they roll into Bethlehem. And all they want to do is maybe stop and take a load off and lay down and rest for just a moment. Maybe unpack their stuff. Maybe get settled in before the baby comes there's just one problem. And Luke chapter 2 says it like this, that as they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. In some of your translations, it says there was no room for them in the inn. And they know the weight of this question, is there room but, I mean, of course, Mary and Joseph get a seat at the table. Of, of course they get a place. I mean, Mary had Gabriel, the angel, show up and tell her how blessed and highly favored that she was. And then we see later on that Joseph has an angel visit him in his dream and tell him, hey, it's okay for you to marry Mary. She's telling you the truth. The son that is going to be born is going to be the Savior, the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And as we see this story unfold, Joseph is called righteous throughout this story. And Joseph decides right then that as he's going to give Jesus his name, in that culture, that was him adopting Jesus as his son, showing us almost just how God would adopt us into his family. And so, of course, Jesus' parents get a seat at the table. As we look at this next one, We have Zachariah and Elizabeth. And their place at the table starts even before Mary and Joseph's seat. You see, back in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel shows up to Zachariah in the temple because Zachariah is a priest. You see, him and his wife had longed their entire lives, their entire married life to have a family, to have a son. But they were unable to have any children. And in that moment, the angel tells them that all of their waiting, all of their longing, all of their hardships would be done. They would have a son. And did I, did I mention who Elizabeth was married to yet or is related to? She's a relative of Mary, Jesus' mom. And now hold on. And you realize that their kid is John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist is, is the prophet. He's Isaiah. He's the one who goes before the Messiah, preparing everyone for the Messiah's coming. He's an incredible prophet. He's an incredible man of God. Of course they have a seat at the table. Oh, man. And then these next guys, the shepherds, the first actual witnesses, the first people told about Jesus being born. Let's look at their story in, in Luke 2. Here's, here's what Luke records. In verse 9, it says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. He appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped, in, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. The shepherds. You see, while the world was sleeping, the Messiah makes his entrance. And it wasn't to a fanfare of trumpets. It was announced to shepherds working the night shift in a nearby field. And as they heard, I wonder... I just wonder if, if God knew and made the connections that his son would tell the world that I am the good shepherd. That the one who would become the good shepherd for everyone, who would live his life to save the vulnerable, to watch over the needy and the hurting, that would give everything he had to be the good shepherd. I wonder if God smiled a little bit as he revealed the good shepherd to the shepherds that day. And I wonder if when John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when Jesus was coming to get baptized, I wonder then if maybe the reason that he was announced to shepherds is because the shepherds who watched over the Passover lambs would understand maybe a little bit more the weight of the Lamb of God. Because part of their job would be keeping the Passover lamb, knowing that that sacrifice was going to cover sins. But in this moment, the lamb of God is revealed to them who will not cover up sin any longer, but will remove the power of sin and release us all from its grip. And then they didn't just listen. They believed and they responded. They went to see exactly what had happened. And as they witnessed it, as it became reality, not just something that they heard, something changed. They not only were witnesses, but they became messengers. It says they told everyone about all of the things they had seen and the things that the angel had told them. Of course, of course there's a place for them. This next guy, the innkeeper, now, he's not mentioned by name, but 
we read that there's no room for them in the inn, that there was no room for them inside of an inn. So that had to be an innkeeper. There had to have been someone telling them, I have nothing for you right now. But it, it's a little confusing, though, because his place at the table doesn't seem quite as obvious as relatives and parents and messengers. I mean, he didn't make the best accommodations for the Savior. He didn't make someone else leave their room for Mary and Joseph, but he, he gave them just enough. And, and maybe that was all he had to offer. Maybe there was no room, and so he made what little room he could. At least he did something. And so maybe that's why. It makes sense if he gave Jesus a place to be born that Jesus would give him a place at the table too. And this last one says Herod. Now Herod, Herod the Great is in the Christmas story. We see his involvement in Matthew's gospel when the wise men show up in Jerusalem looking for the new king of Israel. They show up hoping to worship him and they go to the capital, to the place where the king should be. And when Herod has them come in, he says, hey, I would love to worship this new king too. You just tell me where he is so that I can come and worship as well. But he wasn't being truthful. He wasn't being honest at all. You see, because Herod was king, but he wasn't king by birth. He wasn't king by choice. He was king because Rome said that he was the king. He was an outsider ruling over a nation of people who didn't care for him, and this made him very insecure. You see, Herod didn't see Jesus as a child to worship, but as a challenge to his throne. You see, not only was Jesus born in Bethlehem, but unknowingly Jesus was born into a battlefield that would take many lives. You see, because as Herod realized that the wise men weren't telling him where they went, he had his researchers find out where is the Messiah going to be born. And they find a prophecy that says that it will be in Bethlehem. And he sends his troops to kill every infant two years old and younger, hoping to eliminate the threat to his throne, hoping that he gets this king that would pose a threat to him. He was determined to keep his throne. And this wasn't the first time that he'd resulted to murderous acts to get what he wanted. He murdered former ruling family members. He murdered members of the Sanhedrin. He murdered members of his own family. This, this has to be a mistake. His place at the table has to be a mistake. He's not like any of these other people. How does he get the last place? How can he be there? There's no, where do I sit? Where is my place at the table? Where is your place? It's gotta be a mistake. You know what, and a lot of times this is where we stop. This is where we allow the shame of the things that we've done and not feeling good enough. This is where we normally allow us to keep us from the table. We think things and feel things like, well, that's right, I don't deserve a place at the table. I'm not good enough to be seated next to anyone, even the guys who don't deserve to be here. I'm way worse than them. There can never be a place for me. But as I look at this group of people, maybe... Maybe Herod's not a mistake. Maybe, 
Maybe him having a seat at the table is an indication that Jesus changes things. That, that maybe in each seat, maybe in each seat there's room for me. I mean, if we go back just a little bit and we look back at Mary and Joseph, I mean, Joseph was a guy whose world got turned upside down in a moment. In one conversation, the dream of what his family would look like, his engagement would look like, his marriage would look like, all gets dashed away. This wasn't what he signed up for. This wasn't the life that he hoped to have with Mary. But instead of allowing all of that confusion in the moment to turn him away from God, he allows himself to be turned towards God. And let's not, let's not overlook highly in favored Mary. Mary was a young girl from a small town that when the angel showed up, she was afraid of what all was going on. You see, the town there she was from, Nazareth, was a place that everybody would seemingly overlook. It wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't a big place. It was a small, tiny town. It's why when Jesus was introducing himself to the disciples, it's why Philip said, the Messiah is from Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? You know, but God's story seems to take a lot of turns through overlooked towns and includes overlooked people to remind us that he knows us. He knows who we are and where we are, even if no one else does. And this morning, you may not feel special, but I promise that God has something special just for you and he makes room for you. And man, look at... Zachariah and Elizabeth, let's not forget that they were hopeless, that they were shamed because they didn't have any family. They were broken. They were too old for anything to happen. But God isn't intimidated by what threatens us. He uses our pain for his purpose. If we allow him to do so, he will turn the things that we are frightened by into things that we can have faith over. You see, man, they faced an impossible situation with no reason to feel like it could be anything other than hopeless until God interjected his power into their situation. And out of brokenness and hopelessness can be new life and hope. There's room for you. And oh, man, the shepherds. You know, the shepherds, they are so cute now, right? Like we put them on our mantle and we sing about them. They're so cute. That's not how they were looked at in Jesus' day. You see, these guys would have been some of the roughest guys you would know. They come from the pasture, which means they probably don't smell good when they come into the house. They were rough. You see, in their line of work, no one really wanted to do it. It was hard work. It was long work. They got very little respect for what they did. Do you realize that when you signed up to be a shepherd, you were signing up to be ceremonially unclean for long periods of time while you shepherd sheep? No hope to, to reconcile your sin, your heart to God because you couldn't get to the temple because you were tending sheep. You were an outcast, an outsider, always on the fringe. There were people that always seemed closer, seemed better than you because you were on the outside. No one looked at you and wanted to be like you. But this place isn't for insiders, but it's for outsiders. And if you've been on the outside or you felt like you couldn't fit in, there's room for you. Oh, man, and the innkeeper. And 
I wonder, I wonder if he, when he got that knock on his door, I wonder if that bothered him. I wonder if with all of the travelers that came through Bethlehem that knocked at his door looking for a place to stay, I wonder if he had just finally sat down to relax. And that knock at the door was such an inconvenience. Didn't they know that he had helped everyone else already, that they didn't have any room? He probably put up a no vacancy sign. Couldn't they read? But before we're too hard on him, before we, we judge him a little too harshly for not having room for Jesus, I wonder how much room we have in our own hearts. I wonder if we ask ourselves that when God shows up, because oftentimes when he shows up, it's in an inconvenient moment for us. It's something that we didn't plan or expect, and that's how the knocks normally are when it's God. And I wonder if in those moments do we turn into the innkeeper and we, we move away, we, we try to get past him as quickly as possible without letting the inconvenience mess up our life, mess up our day. I wonder, I wonder if when he made room for them, if it was begrudgingly, just to shut them up, just to get them out of his face so that he could relax a little bit more. And as he cleaned out the stable, which would have probably just been a cave, it wouldn't have been anything great, as he wiped out the trough that the animals would have used to eat and drink, as that's where Jesus was born, I wonder if he did it with a good heart, with an ungrateful heart. But him being at the table reminds me that even when I'm too busy, even when I miss who's knocking at the door, even when I turn God away, that he doesn't turn me away, he makes room for me. Oh, man. And the enemy at the table, the enemy that has a place, someone who committed such incredibly horrible sins, Sins that you and I would be ashamed of if people knew that's what Herod did. That's who he was. He was an enemy. He didn't greet the news of a new king being born with open arms ready to worship. He greeted it with a closed fist ready to fight. But that's me. I didn't greet the news that Jesus loved me with open arms. I had closed fists, closed heart, closed mind. I didn't need him for anything. I didn't want him for anything. Herod is me. And Herod is you. The enemy sitting at the table that doesn't deserve a place, but a place is still made before we say yes, before we deserve it, before we feel like we can earn it. There's room. There's room made for us. You know, Romans 5.8 tells us that God loves us so much that even when we were sinners, he still sent his son he sent Jesus to be born and to give his life for you and for me. Romans 5.10 tells us that friendship with God comes at the sacrifice for Jesus even when we were enemies of him. That in order to have friendship, he gave his life even when we were enemies at the table. While I was an enemy, an outsider, while I was broken and hopeless, while I was overlooked, all of these things, he made room for me. He made room for you. There is room for you this morning. And he always had you in mind. He always had you in mind. The son always thought that he would do this for you, that he would make a place for you to sit and to be his family. This is what he envisioned all along. You and me, 
we were on his mind at the beginning, at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life. When there was a sacrifice needed to be made, we were on his mind. His birth signaled hope. It signaled new life. But that life was given to pay the cost. It was given to reconcile you and I to God. It was given to pay the price for sins to make room at the table. You see, we had ran up an incredibly amount of debt that we couldn't overcome called sin, but Jesus came to pay that bill. His birth was for that bill. His life was for that bill. His death was for that bill. When he made room for us to sit at the table, he paid everything. He gave everything to put you right there because he loves you that much. You know, this table reminds me of another table that Jesus wanted to have with his disciples. We refer to it as the Last Supper. And in that moment, he shared the bread with his disciples. As he gave it out and broke it, he told them, this is my body, which I'm giving for you, which I'm giving for everyone, and it will be beaten, it will be broken, it will be bruised, and they will beat me, and there will be stripes on my body, but all of that is for you and your healing. As he passed that around, he took the wine, and, and he told them, this is my blood given for you, poured out so that all of your sins could be forgiven once and for all. This is for you. And he did that to make room. So there would always be room for you and for me. And not only is there room, but he welcomes us to the table, hoping that we will find our place in his family, finding our identity, who we were supposed to be. And as we find our seat at the table, that we would welcome others to the table, just like he welcomed us. Would you close your eyes this morning with me? I wonder if in a room that's this full, if there's someone here this morning that needs to find their place at the table. That maybe this morning you walked in here and your relationship with God is non-existent or it's not as good as it once was. But God's been speaking to your heart this morning. I wonder if you're here today and you would say, Pastor Kevin, I need to give my life to Jesus for the first time or the hundredth time. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Is there anybody else? Say, man, that's me. Would everyone repeat this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I ask that you take my brokenness and make it whole again. Thank you for dying for me so that I could have a new life and a fresh start. I give you everything I am, all of my hopes and dreams are yours. Thank you for loving me and giving me life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Let's make a little bit of noise right now. I know that, that there's some of you in this room. That if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, Jesus now is welcoming you at his table. There's room for you. There was always room for you. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. We would love to hear your story and have you partner with us financially as we work to spread the life-changing story of Jesus. You can do this at newvisiongrandview.com.